or we are finishing up our series called Me and My Big Mouth. If you've not, um, if you've not been here for the, the last three Sundays or you're really, really intrigued about what in the world was he talking about acting something out, you need to go back and listen to the, the messages. They are on the website, nctyler.org. You can listen to them or you can go to the Apple iTunes store and download from there. Uh, I think this has been a pretty good series, so go back and listen to some things. This morning, we're going to be finishing with a lesson called Your Words. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. I read a, an article this week that was put out by some psychologists this was not a, a, a Christian study. This was just put out by secular psychologists. And they were studying the root causes of divorce. Now, when they went into it, they had some assumptions, just like we generally have some assumptions. But those assumptions did not turn out to be necessarily true. It wasn't how, how much... Uh, the couple said they were in love or how much affection they showed to each other at the beginning of their marriage. It, it wasn't even necessarily uh, how often they fought or what they fought about at the beginning of their marriage. And this study was over a 10-year period. And what the, what the psychologist found was that at the beginning of the relationship, there was a foundation set whether it was going to be a successful marriage or not. And it seems like it's just very little tweak here and there, but what they found was that at the beginning of a relationship that lasted the whole 10 years, that 95% of the conversation and words between the couple were affirming words, loving words, gracious words, where 5% of the words were unlovely, said in anger, and things like that. Of the couples that did not last for the whole decade, 90% of their conversations at the beginning were loving and kind, and 10% were unloving. Now, that seems very, very small, only a 5% difference there. But what they found that over that decade, that the people, the couples, once again, this is, this is not a Christian study, that the couples that had started with 95% of loving and gracious words had not strayed far in those 10 years. They were still speaking a majority of their words to each other in a loving and kind and gracious way. Whereas the couples that had started with the 10% being unloving words, by the time they got to the, the 10th year, if, if the marriage had even lasted that long, they were now at 50% unkind, ungracious words. And the psychologists, they wrote a book, and this is what they said. They said, hostile put-downs act like cancerous cells that, if unchecked, erode relationships over time. 
In the end, relentless, unremitting negativity takes control, and the couple can't get through a week without major blow-ups. Now, that just proves the point. You know, when, even when, when, when secular psychologists are, are trying to prove a point, you know the Bible's always true. <laughs> and this really just proves the scripture that I'm starting with this morning, which is Proverbs 18.21. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And you can see in that study that words were bringing death or they were bringing life. Now, we are, we are the only creation in all of God's goodness, wonder, and majesty that he created with the ability to truly think and talk. Now, I know somebody's going to come up and say, well, I had a parrot when I was a kid, and it said all kinds of words. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about God gave us the ability to think about what we were going to say and truly communicate through speech. Why? Because we were created in His image. We were created in God's image. And how did God create? With his words. Right? We being created in God's image, we are meant to create with words. Now God being God, I'm not trying to tell you that you're God. God being God with his words created the universe. With our words, we get to create atmosphere and mood. And figuratively, figuratively speaking, we create death or we create life with our words. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. <laughs> I'm not asking for a lot of amens, but it's just kind of like, okay, do the skit again. That was fun. <laughs> we focused the last three weeks really on what you shouldn't do with your, with your words. You know, last week, we were talking about grumbling and complaining. The week before, uh, the message was on lying. So we have we focused on what not to do and what not to say. But this morning, I want to flip it. And let's, let's end on the positive side. What should you do with your words? How should you speak with your words? So this morning, I want us to look at three ways that we create an atmosphere of life with our words. Three ways you can create an atmosphere of life with your words. The first way is a word in season. A word in season. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Other translations say that the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Now, this is not just speaking a word to somebody that's tired. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's okay. You're tired. You worked real hard. 
That's, that's not what the scripture, the scripture is saying. What he's really saying is in a moment when somebody is spiritually tired, they're spiritually worn out, they're going through something that the Lord is going to speak through you. It is a word of inspiration, of wisdom, of direction, encouragement. It may even be a word of prophecy that causes a total change in the countenance and the attitude of the person. And this is meant for you. We see this in the Bible with the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And there was a time, the Bible tells us, that three, three nations decided that they were going to get their armies together and they were going to go attack Judah. Now, Judah in the natural was not a big enough nation, a strong enough nation to fight three armies by themselves. So this caused panic. This caused fear. This caused a situation where we're in desperate need of something. When Jehoshaphat found out that these three armies were coming against him, he called a fast throughout the whole land. And as we pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 20... It says, now all Judah, all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. you got to understand, this, this is a situation where all Judah had to, had to get involved. This is not like, you know, a Wednesday night prayer meeting where 20 people show up. This is a situation where everybody was concerned. Everybody was scared. Everybody knew something was happening, so they all showed up. You know, when Lisa and I were, were just married and we were just first in ministry, we were living in Columbus, Georgia, which is right next to a big military base. And we were living there when the, when, when the first uh, desert storm War started. And the church that we were in had a lot of military people in it. It was not a large church. But when, when President Bush came on and said, hey, we're, we're going in and, and, and we're going to fight this, this battle, panic broke out in that town amongst the military people because they were all about to be shipped out for war. And our church called a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Guess what? There wasn't a seat open in the place. Why? Because something was going on. Everybody showed up to pray. Everybody was concerned. It's just like they said after 9-11 that church attendance skyrocketed. Why? Because people knew that something was going on. There was something that people needed in that moment. And in this moment... In Judah, all Judah came together. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of these other people. We won't go through all that. A Levite, the son of Asaph. Now, he was a Levite. This was not a prophet. This was not, not one of God's prophets that he sent in there with the word. This is just a normal guy. Just happened to be from the tribe of Levi, Okay. In the midst of the assembly, and he said, listen, all you of Judah 
and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Now, this is the Lord giving him a word, and he's speaking through. You got to know that because you don't just stand up and go, hey, king, listen to me. Not just some normal guy doesn't just show up and go, hey, king, listen to me. The Spirit of the Lord had come on him to speak a word in season to this congregation. And he said, hey, everybody, listen to me. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid or dismayed because, this, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but the Lord's. Now, don't you know that changed the whole atmosphere? They had come in in fear. They had come in with great concern. And they had come in praying and seeking God. And God gives them a word in season, but he used a person. And that word in season changed the whole atmosphere. It changed everything. To the point now, we're going to go out and we're, we're going to go out to battle. Jews are going to put their army out in battle, and they do one of the dumbest things that's ever been done. In the case of military history, I've never been in the military, but I've read a lot of military history, and I promise you, I've never ever read that an army put a choir in front of them, sent the praisers out in front of them. They were so, so sure that God's word was true. It had changed the way everybody in Judah thought. It changed everything. And we're not just going out to battle. Man, we're going to put the choir in front. We're going to praise the whole way out there. We're going to tell everybody how good our God is. Why? Because the battle was the Lord's. The battle was the Lord's. But how did they know? Because of a word and season. At the right time. God spoke, and he speaks through people. A few, uh, not too long ago, I'd been invited to come and, and speak to this group. And while I was, I was speaking, which was a long time, because uh, it was one of those nights where I just went on and on, and it was good because uh, nobody was yawning and nobody was leaving, so I just kept going. But while I was speaking, I kept, I kept being being drawn to this person. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I didn't necessarily have anything for him. I just kept feeling like, man, God's got something for this person. God's got something for this person. So I had spoken for a while. We prayed for everybody in the place, and that person was still there. And I kept feeling that. Okay, so you know, everybody's starting to, to filter away. And I said, hey, you come here. Come here. And the person came up before me. I still didn't have anything until they stood right up in front of me. And I just opened my mouth, and I began to speak something to them. And it was very personal. That's why I'm not telling you. It was personal to this person. And, and when I began to say it, they started looking around like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this person is saying this to me. And I reiterated it and went on a little bit longer, and, and tears just start to fill up in their eyes. They said, well, I was just talking to somebody about this before the service. Did you talk to them? I said, nope. But God heard it. But God heard it. And it changed. Their, the, the, the whole countenance on their face changed. It was as if God heard my hurt. God heard my cry. And this guy who's been up here speaking way too long got to tell me about it. And let me just tell you, God is not 
beyond ruining a perfectly good service just to tell one person something. Okay? Because you may be here this morning and you may need something. And God, God's going, right there, right there. Everybody else shows up, they're yawning and whatever. And, but God's going to speak to you. All right? Okay. Number one was a word in season. The second way that we can speak and create an atmosphere of life is a word fitly spoken. A word fitly spoken. Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. What is a fitly spoken word? It's more of a, a, a natural encouragement, a word of advice that helps someone see a situation more clearly. It's not necessarily that, that you're saying, thus saith the Lord. It's, it's just wisdom coming out of you that helps somebody see something differently. And Scripture is telling us that that is so valuable. It's, it's like apples of gold in a, in a setting of silver. It's sweet. It's wonderful. It's valuable. But once again, he's going to give it through you. We see this in the, in the story of, of Naaman, who was the commander of the Syrian army, and he was a leper. That, not leopard, lepor. He had leprosy, okay? And he was, he was ill. But his wife had a young Jewish lady working for her. And she said, oh, I wish... I wish Naaman could be in Israel because there's a prophet in Israel. That if he could just get to this prophet, everything would be okay. So Naaman tells his king, and king, the king writes a letter to the king of Israel, and they send Naaman. And through the course of time, Naaman winds up right in front of Elisha's house. But Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha sends his servant out and says, go tell him to take a bath in the Jordan River. In fact, do it seven times. Now, you, you, you can imagine, this is a man of great importance. In, in fact, the scripture says he got so angry, he said, I thought he would come out and wave his hands around and say something. But he didn't. God didn't. Always do it the way we think it's going to happen. <laughs> so he, Naaman just gets furious. When we pick up the scripture in 2 Kings chapter 5, he says, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Parfar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey when he says simply, go wash and be cured. Now here he was in a rage, but somebody close to him had a word of wisdom that helped him see the whole situation differently. You have to understand that people around us have hurts. They have spiritual leprosy, if you want to say it that way. 
and they need words of wisdom and encouragement, not anger and judgment. The right word at the right time will help guide people. When Lisa and I were young, I started another one with that too, didn't I? I was trying to think of something different. Like when we were young, because we're old now. Uh, when we were younger in ministry, just after our, our oldest daughter, Elise, was born, we were still working for an evangelist, and uh, we were down in Houston on a Sunday. We were going to do a, a service at, at a church, and we were in the, the hotel room getting ready, and Lisa was in the, the bathroom, and I, I had already gotten ready. I'm just sitting on the bed, and I had the television on, and I was watching a, a preacher, and uh, at the end of his uh, message, an advertisement came up for a, a rally that he was going to be doing in Washington, D.C. Now, a little backstory is the Lord had already been, been bubbling within me that he was about to change something. Something was going to change. I knew that the Lord was, was about to, to move us on to our next phase in ministry. I knew it. But if you know me very well, I am not very patient. I do not like to wait. I want to do it now. I want to know everything now. I want to do it now. Let's don't wait. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I knew that the Lord was getting ready to do something. I just didn't know what it was at the time. So when I saw this advertisement for this D.C. rally, I stood up and I said, I, when we get back to the office on Monday, I'm quitting my job and we're going to Washington, D.C. to this rally because God's going to talk to me there. Because I was just looking for something. And I can remember this little brunette sticks her head out of the bathroom and she comes and she says, I love you so much. I will follow you anywhere in the world. But if you quit your job, I'm going to tell you that's the dumbest thing you have ever done. And I sat there feeling all encouraged because my wife was with me. But she was speaking wisdom to me. Because within just a couple of months, I'd been hired to be an associate pastor at a church. But I was just going to, because I wanted something to happen, I was just going to throw everything away and go, go make something happen. But a word fitly spoken kept us paying our bills until I got another job. So, men, listen to your wives. Listen to your wives. I promise you, my wife has never, never steered me wrong. Here's another little story for you real quick. We, we were moving into a house one time, and uh, there, was, there, there was water in, in this one room. And, and, we, and we couldn't figure out where, where, where in the world this, this was coming from. And, you know, and I had these, these men from the church that were helping us move in. And, you know, like, you must have a busted pipe in the wall. There must be something going on. And once again, my wife, thinking she knows everything, uh, knew that the, the laundry room was just on the back side of that wall. 
And she said, hey, are you sure that, you know, the water is turned off back there uh, in the laundry room? You know, where you hook up the, the washer. And the men went, yes, 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 that's not it. You know, you don't know what's going on. And so they're pulling up carpet. You know, they're digging into the wall. They're looking at all this type of stuff. And I'll give you one guess what it was. When they had unhooked the washer for the people moving out, they didn't turn the water off. It was just dripping. So, men, listen to your wives. Listen to your wives. Because, men, that's a word fitly spoken. Listen to your wives. All right. Moving on to our, the third. The third way that we can speak life. The third way. A soft answer. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, understand that Scripture is not saying the tone of your voice. It's not saying be soft with the tone of your voice, because you can be very soft and say, you're a moron. <laughs> You've got to be the most ignorant person that has ever lived on the face of the earth. I don't even know why God created you. <laughs> now, you can say that in a soft tone and still be harsh with your words. What Scripture is saying is with your answer, be soft, be loving, be giving, not angry. See, the world is looking. They're looking for answers. So we can't give them religious politics. We can't give them tongue, tongue lashings about sin. And we can't give them angry answers just because they asked a question in anger. You hear me? Because God's not afraid of questions. We act like sometimes that, that God is offended because people ask questions. Well, you can't get an answer unless somebody asks a question. So if somebody asks a question... Don't take it personally. Just give them a soft answer. Give them a salted answer. Give them a life answer because God can defend himself. You don't have to be God's defender. You just speak life. You just speak truth. We see this in Luke chapter 10. Starting verse 38, it says, And now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, whose house was it? Martha's. Okay, just making sure you're listening. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Lord, do you not care? You know, there's a lot of people asking that question. Lord, do you not care? And I've already told you, God's not afraid of questions. You had not been around rough people if you've not heard the question, well, if God is so good, why? If God is so good, why? And they're not attacking you. And you may take offense at it, and you may feel like you've got to defend God. But you don't have to defend God. 
Here's a great answer sometimes. I don't know. I don't know the answer to every question. I know God is good. I know God is good. So here is Martha saying, basically, God, do you not care? Jesus, do you not care? My my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, I don't think she was asking this in a very nice way. This is just the way I read it. Martha's gotten really upset. She invited Jesus to her house, so she feels like she's got to do all this type of stuff. Jesus came in, and he started teaching. Mary's got enough sense to listen to what Jesus is saying. But Martha feels like she's still got to do all this stuff. So she gets disturbed. She gets upset to the point where she gets up in Jesus' face and goes, Don't you care that I'm the only one around here doing anything? Tell her to help me. But Jesus gave her a soft answer. Now, it was a straight answer. It was a direct answer. Soft answer doesn't mean that you can't be honest with somebody. But Jesus didn't turn around and go, Woman, how dare you question me? Do you know who I am? I am the Son of God. No. He gave her a soft answer. He said, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. Anytime something's repeated like that, He's trying to get somebody's attention. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen that. Basically, he's telling her, stop worrying about everything and sit down with your sister. Sit down and receive. Now, I'm going to tell you, I did not want to use this this as my my example for, for this point. But the Lord kept bringing me back to it. I'm going, Lord, why, why do you keep making me come back to this? Why do you keep making me come back to this? You know why? Because there's somebody in here this morning going, Lord, do you not care? There's somebody sitting in here this morning saying, Lord, do you not care? Lord, do you not care? Lord, do you not care? And you feel like you've done everything. Martha felt like she'd done everything. Jesus should have been commending her because she had done everything. And you feel like you've done everything, but you're still not getting the answer. So I'm going to tell you this morning, whoever you are, maybe more than one, but I know there's one person in here. Because like I told you, God does not mind messing up my messages for one person. Whoever you are, God cares. And he's saying, lay down the trouble, lay down the stuff, and just hear me. And just hear me. Whoever you are, when we get down to the end of this service, there's going to be people up here to pray. Come hear God. Come listen to God. Come get a hold of somebody that will pray with you. Okay? So that's my my little sidetrack in my message there. God is not afraid of honest questions. And he wants our speech, as Colossians 4, 6 says. And they don't have the scripture for this because I added this later. It says, let your speech always be with grace, as seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. Several years ago, I had been asked to come uh, do some speaking at, at, at a small Bible school. And they would have me come down each year 
And I would basically teach the same thing. I'd done it for like five years. I'd come in, they wanted me to teach on faith, then they wanted me to teach on, on biblical authority. And the first few years, I got exactly what, what I expected. I got Bible school students all carrying around, you know, their, their great big uh, reference Bible with them and notebooks because they're going to be taking notes and they all sat right down here in front and they were all crowded up here and they're just listening to everything you had to say. And that was great. But then I came in this one year, and it was just a different crowd. Things just didn't seem the same. First thing is they were scattered all over the sanctuary. They weren't all sitting down here just waiting for me to give them all kinds of wisdom. And they didn't, they, they didn't look like, and, and understand the way that I'm saying this, but you know, they just didn't come across as Bible school students. But, hey, I'm here to teach. So I just start in with what I always start with. We're starting with what is faith. So we start talking, and you can just kind of feel this is not going over the way, kind of like it is this morning. Uh, this does not feel like it's going over the way that, that you really want it to. And I'm going like, Lord, what in the world is going on? So I've been going about 20 minutes, and this big guy, Stands up right back over here. He had been sitting the furthest back. Didn't look like he was listening to anything I was saying. He's playing on his phone and all this. So I've been going about 20 minutes and this guy stands up. And he points his finger at me. And he goes, you're preaching real good. But I want to know, how is what you're saying going to change the lives of those crack babies back in my neighborhood? little wet spot in my, <laughs> I stopped. I, I did not know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I've got this, this, this huge man challenging me. You know, I've had people walk out on me while I was preaching before, but I've never had anybody stand up and interrupt me. So he, he just interrupted. <laughs> so I stopped, and I'm looking at him, and, but on the inside I'm going, oh, crap, what do I say? What do I do? Uh, and I, I, just, I, I just started praying in the spirit underneath my breath. And, and then I just started talking to him. And I started telling him how, how our church was going into this neighborhood. And we were ministering to these, to these kids. And honestly, I don't remember everything I said to him. But I spoke to him for about five minutes. And at the end of that five minutes, I was crying. He was crying. Everybody else in the place was crying. Why? Because it was a soft answer that turned away wrath. This man was angry. Now, here's the backside of the story. The school did not tell me that they had shifted their entire focus. They were no longer a Bible school. They were a halfway house. And all of these people had just gotten out of prison. And this big guy back there had just spent 15 years in prison for murder. And he'd heard enough. And he wanted to know how this God you're talking about is going to change his neighborhood because he came from one of the worst neighborhoods in New Orleans, Louisiana. But God had an answer for him. Now, he used me to give it just like he will use you to give soft answers, just like he will use you to give uh, words in season. And that word changed 
the entire atmosphere of that room that we were in. To the point that we got everybody together, just put them all in a big circle once I figured out what was going on because they told me at the break what, what, who these people really were. And they weren't there to hear about faith and authority. They, they didn't know anything about anything. They just needed to know Jesus loved them. So we just pulled them all up in, in a circle, and I just started speaking to them individually about who they were and how much Jesus loved them. It doesn't matter where they've been, what they've done. doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And we're all crying and just praying over them. And, and it, it, it got so real that these people that had just gotten out of prison, I'm, I'm telling you, there were prostitutes, there were drug dealers, and there was a murderer. Man, I had never felt more like Jesus because that's the type of people he hung out with. We got down to the end of it, and this great big old guy, he goes, I don't, I, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't understand this at all. He said, but for some reason, he goes, you're going to think this is crazy, but for some reason, uh, I, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to get a bucket of water and pour it over your feet. He hadn't read the Bible. He didn't know anything about washing feet as, as, a, as a thing of honor. But God turned that whole thing because of a soft answer. I could have said, sit down, you. How dare you stand up and interrupt my preaching? If you can't listen to the word of God, you get out of this place. Could have. I probably wouldn't have left because he'd been waiting for me outside. <laughs> I'd probably still be there. But a soft answer changed everything. So what do I want you to know this morning? I want you to know that your words create an atmosphere of death or of life. So be careful what and how you speak. I read this little poem this week. It says, be careful. I'm careful of the words I say to keep them soft and sweet. I never know from day to day which ones I'll have to eat. What do I want you to do? Speak words of life. It's easy to get caught up in our emotions. It's easy to respond against somebody, especially when they've challenged you. But speak words of life. Speak words that encourage the weary, that give wisdom, not judgment. Speak words in love. And don't get angry when someone questions you. 